Welcome into a special edition of the Musketeer Report podcast. Paul Fritschner, Rick Broering, and Mo Egger will join us shortly here on the podcast. But first of all, Paul, to any of you that are traveling in town, safe travels. I know with it being an 830 game on Saturday night, there's a lot of people coming in town for this this weekend here at Xavier. Uh, with it being an 830 p.m. Xavier. game, with it being an 830 p.m. game, safe travels to the people who are living locally and making their way over there too. like get an Uber. You know what I'm saying? I I think I, I was talking to some people uh, about this game. I, I would think that this game is probably going to be attendance wise with standing room only and what they've sold already. This could be up there uh, for one of the most attended games in Cintas history from just kind of the things that I've been hearing. That's the Mario Mercurio trick, right? Every big game is like the next highest attendance because they're already at capacity. I mean, they sell that place out for every big game. So like they just allow one extra standing room person only in or something for each big game. So they, can say, <laughs> yeah, yeah. they set a new record. Yeah, no, it yeah. definitely will be. You're right. They will say this is an attendance record for this game, but the atmosphere in this place is going to be off the charts. Now, I, I can't believe they're having it this late. They'll do whatever TV tells them to do, but this is amazing for the fans. Yeah, and there's so much to look at with this game. Of course, you have Paul Scruggs, who could be the first Xavier player ever to beat Cincinnati four times. Uh, but you also look at the day, right, just in sports. You have the Army-Navy game, but usually this game is on Championship Saturday and it's sandwiched in and you're competing with a lot of football games. Or, you know, last year it was on a Sunday. This year it's at 8.30 on a Saturday night on national television. And there's other basketball and stuff going on, but there's not really anything as marquee. It's a huge day of college basketball, but this is a real prime window for Xavier in the national spotlight tomorrow night. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a big day for college basketball, but this is the biggest game of college basketball for the day. Yes. So you're right. It's going to be awesome in terms of the national focus will be on Xavier. But th to me, this game is never about like, what anyone outside of the Cincinnati bubble says or is thinking, or if they're paying attention or not, everyone's always worried. Like where does it rank among the best rivalries of all time? It doesn't matter because it's so insular and everyone here thinks it's such a big deal that to all of us, it is the best rivalry of all time. Like I could care less whether someone in North Carolina knows about this rivalry taking place, because I guarantee you all 10,000 plus in Cintas center for this game will be chanting at the top of their lungs, FUC or something of that nature at some point during this contest well that's the old mark titus article right from back when that i think it was i, I forget what outlet it was even on way back when, when it was this club that. trillion was it, blog yeah what, was think. it club trillion or maybe or no, or maybe Grantland. i think i think it was Grantland. Grantland. good call i think it was Grantland. Grantland. yeah yep. and uh you know it was one of those things where like and then people we're talking to don't need to hear this but it it, it really is the, the idea that Cincinnati has this game and hey, if you're not from here and you don't care about it, then whatever, but we care about it and it's going to be our game. And I think showcasing that at 830 on a Saturday night uh, for anybody that's not going to be in attendance, it'll be Eric Collins uh, on play by play, who is the Charlotte Hornets broadcaster and Nick Baugh, uh will also he'll be uh, doing the color for the game. So if you're watching the game, that's the broadcast that you're going to get. And uh, yeah, so let's let's get right into the game here. Uh, Cincinnati uh, coming into this game here with a couple of losses already uh, on the season and a couple of kind of weird losses where they were back to back Arkansas and Monmouth. They'll be seven and two coming into the shootout. They haven't played since Sunday. Xavier likes to schedule that midweek game to kind of take some pressure off of 
the shootout week and the media attention and everything like that. So Xavier plays Ball State on Wednesday. Cincinnati hasn't played since Sunday, uh, where they played Bryant kind of close, ended up winning by 15, but the score got a little separated into the second half, but that was a five-point game at halftime. It was 35-30, and uh, Cincinnati pulled away in the second half. But UC's kind of had an up-and-down start to the season, Rick, uh, with a really good win over Illinois, who granted probably isn't playing the best basketball, but will round into form as the season goes along. That'll end up being a good win. And then they took Arkansas right down to the wire. I think everybody's expecting Xavier to you know, win this game fairly handedly Ken Palm has Xavier by eight that'll probably be right around where the line opens up this talent wise on paper should be a game that Xavier could win by 10 12 15 points but it's a rivalry game and uh, you never know so let's let's get right into the game here Uh, what are some of your first impressions early impressions of this game overall I think the big thing that's changing right now as we're talking and especially going back to last night's Xavier game is where we stand with Zach Fremantle and what he might be able to give Xavier in this game. Cause we just talked on Monday and I was like, Hey, I, you know, I wouldn't be expecting him to be Zach Fremantle. You can't count on him in this type of game. He's not there yet. And then he comes out against ball state leads him in scoring has 24 points is efficient. Looked great running the floor, scoring in transition, scored around the basket. He didn't hit any three pointers. He didn't do anything, you know, too crazy. It was against a lower talent you know a lesser talented ball state team but it was a sign that you know clearly physically he is good to go he has some of the confidence back he looked like he was in his groove when he was using that drop step and making the jump hook in the low post i'm changing my mind about what we can expect out of zach freeman i'm not saying he's going to dominate this game there's still a chance that he has some setbacks and there's still some rust to knock off but i think it's very much possible now that we get a Zach Fremantle being Zach Fremantle type performance. And if I'm UC, it's like all of a sudden you have to worry about one more go-to type player in addition to Paul (laughs) Scruggs and Colby Jones and maybe even Jack Nungy, who I would have been worried about. And Zach Fremantle gets the Ken Palm MVP for whatever that's worth. For last night, he was uh, nine for 10 from inside the arc. He took the one three and missed, but he had 24 points uh, to lead all scorers. And he just, He looked like what we had talked about on Monday's podcast, like you said, where you're just trying to get your feet back under him and really try to get into the groove before Saturday. And that's what last night was able to do. And he scores 24 points very efficiently. And you saw some of the lineups that they were able to to throw out there with him and Jack and Travis Steele talked about that in a little bit in the post game of how they trying to mix those guys in you. And I've talked about that at length in, in podcasts leading up to this one. So that's, like you said, just another look that Cincinnati's going to have to deal with now kind of on short notice. Of course, they know Zach from, from years past. It's not like he's a freshman, but coming off this injury, okay, what kind of Zach are you going to get? And you saw last night against Ball State, what kind of a Zach Fremantle you might be able to see if he is back in that full groove on Saturday. Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's a big deal, obviously, when you've got a first-team preseason All-Big East player on your roster and you just get him back out of nowhere. So uh, UC knows what to expect. I mean, he got them last year pretty good. It's not like they're going to be surprised by him or anything like that, but it is certainly a big deal that it's possible he could go for 15 or 20 as opposed to, oh, he looks like a non-factor heading into this game. That's a pretty big change, and I think it's one that's reasonable to make after what we saw on Wednesday. 
So we've talked a lot about Xavier, but let's talk a little bit about uh, UC and they have a new coach, Wes Miller. What style, Rick, does Wes Miller run? What can Xavier fans expect to see at Cintas uh, on Saturday night out of their offense, their defense? What what team is UC this year under Wes Miller? Well, a lot of people are talking about how it's going back to the Mick Cronin days because they're a defensive-led group. The offense is pretty brutal right now. And there are some similarities to how they approach things, but obviously it's a very different group. Mick Cronin played a lot of that matchup zone, the Willard matchup zone. They're not doing that here. They're playing almost exclusively half-court man-to-man. They will mix in some three-quarter court press as well, but that's something that Wes did more at UNC Greensboro than he's doing here at Cincinnati. For the most part, it's half-court man-to-man, and they're really going to get up and pressure you. And one thing you heard Mick Cronin talk a lot about with his defense is getting deflections. That's a buzzword with Wes Miller's defense as well. They're trying to get up, pressure the ball like crazy, get some deflections, and then they'll deny in the passing lanes a little bit too. They're not like a full-on deny like Florida State getting out and up the line, but they're right on you, making catches tough, and as soon as you do catch the ball, they're in your shorts. So Xavier is going to be pressured, and I think if there's one way for Cincinnati to win this game, it's that making Xavier uncomfortable. We've seen that give them some trouble already this year. Like if you go back to the Iowa state game that they lost, I thought Iowa state did a pretty good job of that. Um, now Xavier had some bigger issues on the defensive end of that game than offensive too, but uh, it's, there is, there's definitely something to be said for the way that UC plays defense and how it could impact Xavier in this game. Offensively, you know, there's nothing too crazy about what they're doing other than they're just not making shots. But I don't I don't think it's like anything too hard to prepare for or uh, something funky that he does with his style. Yeah. And you look at how they've defended this year in their wins. Cincinnati hasn't allowed more than 68 points in a game, and that was against Georgia at home. But Cincinnati's effective field goal percentage is second. Uh, defensively in the country, but on offense, it's 234th. Uh, They just, like you said, they defend really well. I've watched a lot of Cincinnati so far this year, and it's kind of just one of those things where, and at times they're getting open looks and they're just not going in. And that's really, like you said, been the story for Cincinnati for a long time. And you think about this game and a shootout being at Xavier at Centos, a place that Cincinnati hasn't won in 20 years and I mean, Wes Miller was 18 years old the last time Cincinnati won at Cintas. I mean, it's crazy. Xavier has players that weren't even born the last time Cincinnati was, you know, the, the last time Cincinnati won at, at Cintas. So this is an environment where if you're UC coming into this, you're going to have to be able to hit those shots at a higher level and you're going to have to do it quick because Xavier, and that's one thing Travis Steele talked about last night in the press conference, he wants a, a hotter start to the games, right? Not those slower starts like last night, seven to two. So if you're Wes Miller and you see, and you, and you want a puncher's chance at this game, you got to avoid that Xavier hot start. I think uh, where Xavier runs out in the first war. Yeah. And the one thing for Xavier on the flip side of that, because the way that you see defense, they're really good at defending the three point shot and Xavier has struggled with that at times. Now, right now they're on a hot streak. The last four games, they've really been shooting it well. And Nate Johnson is on fire. So if you see can't, 
prevent Xavier from getting hot from the outside and then making some threes. That's going to be a real uphill battle for them. The other thing that UC really likes to do is because they pressure that ball so much, they do have some shot blockers back at the rim too. So they're trying to basically pressure you up and funnel you into their shot blockers. They don't want you to get kick out three. So their wings aren't helping out a ton. They'll, they'll dig down a little bit as you start to drive, but they're trying to get home and get back to their man on the perimeter and let you bring the ball into Abdullah Du or one of their other big men, Hayden Koval or Victor Locke. And all three of them bring some rim protection for their defense. So the big calling card for UC in this game is if they can prevent Xavier from getting threes, they do a really good job of making it tough to score inside the arc against them and around the basket because of their size and length and how hard they play. So that that's to me, their path to winning, I would say. And you talk about a path to winning, and one of the big paths to winning in a game like this is having that experience, having that seniority. Uh, and some of that is on Xavier's side, and there's some of that on UC's side, too. Both teams have guys that have seen a lot of action in crosstown shootouts, maybe none more than Xavier with, with Paul Scruggs, of course, again, going for win number four against UC. <laughs> Did you see uh, Fremantle's? comment in the in the press conference yeah, last you night. old as hell he <laughs> <laughs> old as hell yeah so he uh so paul will be going for win number four and then on uc's side uh they have a couple of seniors you know david de julius um of course a senior but other than that really as far as big time production um you know mike adams woods he's a junior uh jeremiah davenport's a junior uh so you know, Mike Saunders, he, he got a, a little taste of it too, but, you know, an underclassman. So senior wise, it's DeJulius that's really going to be the guy that that has that big game experience that he's seen before, you know, having played in a Cintas Center and things like that before. Yeah, and experience certainly matters in this game. But I also always look at seniors in the shootout from the perspective of it's the last chance for someone usually, right? Their last chance to make their impact on this game, their last chance to go out as a winner in the shootout. In Paul Scruggs' case, it's going to be on his home court, and we've talked about the special relationship between him and this fan base and and why he came back. This is one of the games you come back for if you're Paul Scruggs. And in UC's case, they don't have a guy who's on his final year of eligibility because David DeJulius can play again next year if he wants to. He can come back because of the COVID year. So they don't have a guy who's in their final year of eligibility. It's their last chance who's also got experience in in this game. You know, they've got a, a one and done transfer too, but they haven't played in this game yet. And even the guys who were here last year, a guy like David Julius has never played in it with fans. Yeah. So to me, it's like Xavier having Paul Scruggs in this game, who knows what'll happen. Maybe Paul completely flopped last year. He had 25 and five. So I tend to think that's not going to be the case, but seniors in the shootout always seem to matter. And for Paul, with this being such a big deal, with him being so connected to Xavier and this fan base and the Cinta Center, it's hard for me to imagine him not going out and being super aggressive. Now, maybe that'll work against Xavier. Maybe UC's defense will swarm him. He'll over-dribble, trying to get into the paint too much and force the issue too much, and maybe he'll get shots blocked at the rim because of their length, and he'll just be trying to do too much, and it hurts him. That's not the way this typically goes in the shootout. I've got my eye on Paul Scruggs for sure. And this one is the most important guy for Xavier, if you will. Coming off of Paul Scruggs seniority in a game like this, who do you think, you know, do you think it is DeJulius? 
uh, Rick? Do you think it's Paul Scruggs? Is there somebody else? Is there an X factor, uh, you know, a most important player uh, for either team that you feel like maybe outside of those guys? Or do you feel like it is those two seniors that are going to be in control of this game? For Xavier, I think the most important guy is Paul Scruggs. X factor, a little bit different story, I think. Um, for UC, the most important guy is probably David DeJulius because I don't think they can play well offensively if he doesn't have a good game. Or it's really hard for them to play well offensively if he doesn't have a good game and kind of steer the ship. If it's not him, they're relying more on some guys getting hot from a three that aren't very good three-point shooters. Um, but there's also if I go X factor on their side, and I think this kind of goes tandem with David DeJulius, I think Mikey Saunders playing well, coming at the point guard next to DeJulius and giving them a spark, particularly from the outside, which weirdly he has done this year. He's shooting 47% from three. It's on limited attempts, but he's been making the open threes that he's gotten. And in a couple of their bigger games, Illinois being the one that stands out the most, he played really well. And I think that was part of what propelled them to that big win and made them look like a competent offense in that game. So that backcourt playing well gives them a chance. And you also got to think about Jeremiah Davenport as kind of that X factor too, because if UC doesn't have that shootout figure who's been involved in this for multiple years and played in front of the crowds before, they do have that local kid who understands the rivalry that understands the environment, has been around it his entire life. Jeremiah Davenport is, is a type of guy who lives for this series. So he's he's got to be an X factor too. What about for you on the Xavier side? I want to hear what you have to say to both of those questions as well. You know, I'll kind of zag on this one. I'll be real interested to see Victor Locke and and, and like a Jack Nunji down low, just because I, I think with the way that Nunji has played this year, he's the type of guy, right? I mean, how often have we sat here and talked about transfers that make a huge impact in this game? And it, he's not going to step out and hit four threes like Karim Canner is, but he's going to be a body down low for UC that they're going to have to deal with. And I'll be real interested. You know, you look at a guy like Locke and who stands at, you know, 6'11", but he's going to get thrown right into the fire in this game. And he's going to have to guard two really, really talented players or at least make some kind of a presence known in the paint. And you see they, they lean smaller, you know, as a team. And Xavier all of a sudden has Fremantle and Nunji who can make a real difference where, you know, Xavier's of course guard heavy too with Colby and Paul and Dewan and Nate and, and all the rest, especially Nate with, with how well he's shooting. He's another guy I would look at. If you're looking at a guard, I you know you mentioned Paul and the rest, but Nate Johnson, Jack Nunji for me are two guys that I'm really going to look at. Can Nate stay as hot as he's been lately? And can Jack, kind of open things up down low because if Xavier is able to feed him and and Cincinnati has to maybe double him in the post or, or figure out how to handle him, Jack's a good enough passer that if Xavier's off-ball movement is good enough to cut to the basket, find guys like DeWan, things like that for open layups, that just completely changes the dynamic of the game against the UC team that tries to pride itself on the defensive end. Yeah, I mean, Jack is always a big factor for Xavier. I, I could see that for certain. If I'm going X-Factor on the Xavier side, I think my guy is Nate Johnson. And maybe it's unfair to really call Nate an X-Factor at this point, given what he's done the last few weeks because he's been that hot. But if he continues to shoot the way he's shot the ball and hits three, four, five threes in this game, it's hard for me to see UC winning. 
quite honestly. Yeah. I mean, like yeah. everything else would kind of have to fall apart for Xavier at that point. Cause it's like, if UC has got to worry about him, chase him on the perimeter, get a little more spread. I mean, they're, they're going to be up pressuring the ball anyways, but it's like, if you open up some extra lane for Scruggs and you in the post, I do think you mentioned Victor Lockin, but like Abdullah do is a really good low post defender too. I think that is one of their strengths is that they do have numbers down there. And that's one thing for Xavier that I'd be a little bit concerned about is if Nunji gets in foul trouble early, what's your answer for Xavier? I mean, I think it's probably you put Fremantle at the five, you go small at that point, because I don't know if this is a game where you can be playing Deontay Miles extended minutes against their front court. I think that they're so physical and so tough. I think that's going to be a hard yeah. path for Xavier. Yeah, I, I'm with you, Rick. I, I think so too. And and you look at the rest of this game and how the game could play out if Xavier starts to shoot the ball well and UC gets stretched. And if Nate Johnson, who has completely caught fire over the last few games where he started off the season cold and now right into this beginning part of December, you get into into Cintas tomorrow, and that's the kind of guy as a transfer who didn't play in front of fans last year, and now all of a sudden comes in and plays in, in front of maybe the most electric atmosphere that he's going to play against. It, it was interesting kind of talking to some of these guys after the Ohio State game or hearing some of the vibes about how Ohio State was, and then thinking to yourself, okay, Ohio State was great, and there was a lot of pent-up energy in that game because that was the first real big game at Cintas in two years but Saturday is a completely different beast uh, from Ohio State and the decibel level may be close to the same but what's going to happen inside Cintas on Saturday is completely I don't want to say completely different but it it's it's another level than than what that Ohio State game was and if you have Nate Johnson as a guy off the wing that can feed off of that energy and hit a few threes to open things up against UC then yeah it's going to be a it's going to be a long night so what do you think for Xavier they're going to have to do defensively, Rick? We've talked a lot about their defense and how well Xavier has been performing defensively. What do you think they're really going to have to do, especially if you see isn't hitting shots? You don't want to obviously have lapses defensively. You don't want to get lazy if, if you see uh, on a cold streak. Like, like, what do you think is going to most contribute to a cold streak like that to allow Xavier to win this game? Well, I, I mean, I think Xavier just has to play defense the way they've been doing it because they've been pretty damn good. We talk a lot about UC's defense, but Xavier's defense. And again, I've talked about a lot of this podcast, so I hate to keep going back to it, but when they made that switch from jumping out and hard hedging with their bigs to using the drop coverage with the five man, they were already switching everything else and they've continued to do that. They've done a little bit switching with the five, depending on the matchup too. But for the most part, it's been that drop coverage and they've been able to keep everything tight and keep a guy like Jack Nungy around the rim a lot more. And I think that's made Xavier's defense pretty tough to score. And I think that's going to be the case for UC. UC is not a potent offense anyways. They're not a team that's really good at stretching the floor and getting you extended. So if Xavier's able to keep it tight, rebound the way they do, I think they're going to be in good shape. Now, if UC is, for whatever reason, finding driving lanes or David Julius is scoring uh, coming off of pick and rolls in the mid-range, or maybe Mike Adams-Woods got hot doing that because he will come off some ball screens and shoot occasionally, although he's not very good at it usually, then I think what Xavier can do is go to the 2-3 zone that they showed against Oklahoma State. Because, again, UC is not a team that has shot it consistently from the outside. If you are able to pack it in with that zone and continue to rebound, that's a little bit of a concern once you go to the zone is being able to clear the glass. But as long as you're able to do that, I think you could really give this UC team fits with one of your bigger lineups going to that 2-3 zone. So on the flip side, what's UC got to do, Rick? 
Well, I think for them, it just comes down to hitting some shots. Like, I don't see a way they win this game if they don't make some threes that they haven't been making recently. It's going to be really hard for them otherwise, because then they're going to have to be awesome against Xavier defensively and keep Xavier from scoring in the high 60s or 70s. And that's that's going to be tough to do. I mean, I don't think you can play this game around 58, 60 points against this Xavier team. Now, I've been wrong before. We've seen that the shootout. Anything's possible. It could be a totally ugly game, but that's going to be more UC getting lucky and catching Xavier on a bad shooting night to me if that happens than it is they found a way to just completely shut Xavier down. So for me, on UC's side, it just comes down to them having to make some shots that they don't typically make. And then, I, again, I go back to those two guards, Mike Saunders and David Julius. Usually when this offense is playing well, those two guys are scoring a little bit. I mean, it could be Mike Adams Woods instead of Mikey Saunders, I guess, but they've got to get some production from that other guard spot to free David Julius up a little bit. Yeah. And, and Xavier's lowest scoring game this year was against Virginia tech 59 to 58, but Xavier puts up 59 points in that game when they were very shorthanded and Nate Johnson scores over half of those points in that game, 30 of the 59 but otherwise, you look around the rest of the schedule, they score 70 in the loss to Iowa State. But uh, granted, you know, Ohio State, you're putting up 71. All these bye games, you're scoring in the 70s, even in the 80s. Last night, we saw almost 100. So if you're Xavier offensively and you can kind of score at will against Cincinnati, it, it, it's going to be a long night because Cincinnati doesn't really have the talent offensively right now to be able to keep up with a game i think in the high 70s like you said because now if they're getting if they're starting to hit these shots like the other night cincinnati i think was five for 13 against bryant from three it's you know not not bad if you're able to kind of stretch things out but cincinnati is going to have to be able to hit those shots because if they don't then you see's xavier's just going to sag in and dare you see to shoot it and which is kind of what they did against oklahoma state and Xavier will take that if you see can't hit the open shot. Yeah, you mentioned the start of this game a few different times, and I think that will be really important for UC because if they do brick some of those early threes, assuming they take some, it also that vice just gets tighter on the offensive end. They're already going to be pressing a little bit because they haven't been scoring. Xavier's defense is pretty good. They're able to tighten things up a little bit more because UC's not hitting shots early. All of a sudden, now UC has no real shot of getting offensive rebounds because of that. Xavier's so tight and compact on the defensive end. It's just going to be really difficult for them. I also wanted to mention that Virginia Tech game because you brought up that score in the in the high 50s there. Also remember that was dictated by Xavier more than anything in that game because they didn't have the numbers, so they were playing the burn offense. They were dribbling the ball up yep. the court, holding it for 15, 20 seconds, and then starting their offense just to conserve some energy. There were only 62 possessions in that game. Now, I'm sure UC would love for it to be like that. They'd like to keep this to as few possessions as possible in this game to give themselves a better chance. But again, I mean, assuming this gets to at least 68 to 70 possessions, which is below where Xavier's been playing at, but reasonable. That's where like some of their first games were at. The Ohio State game was right around 70 possessions. So if it's around there, I think you're going to have a hard time holding Xavier to under 65 points. Yeah. All right. So last thing here before we talk to Mo, let's get into a prediction. Rick, you go first. My hunch is to say that Xavier. Wait, wait, wait. Before before you say that, guess the line and then give the prediction. I'm going to say the line opens at like eight or eight and a half, which is what everyone's saying. Yeah. Obviously, the Ken Palm line yeah. is eight before the game, but I think it goes in UC's favor as the day goes on. I think people are going to bet on UC. So I think it'll come down to like seven and a half at 10, if I had to guess. But 
I think my hunch is that this game is either right around that, that's several to double digit win, or it's a blowout in Xavier's favor. It's hard for me to see a way in which UC wins this game. I mean, it's certainly not impossible given the nature of this rivalry. And I do think that Wes Miller's style and how they're playing and sort of that culture that he's instilling over there works better as an underdog where you could go, it's us against the world. No one thinks we can win this game. We're just going to foul the hell out of them on every possession and hope they don't call us for all of them. And and we'll be that scrappy, plucky group. But again, there's so many things that need to go right, I think, for UC to have a shot at winning this game versus if just a few things go in Xavier's favor, they should be good and they could really run away with it. I'm going to say Xavier wins this by 11. I'm going to go 75-64. Well, I also was going to go 11, but I'm going a little lower scoring. I'm going to say 72 to 61. Uh, but I do I do think that just with everything that is working for Xavier, and now you, you could look at it, you know, if you're a UC better, you could look at it and say, okay, everything is in Xavier's favor, and I'm just going to bet the opposite. And that's what a lot of people do when they're gambling. But when well, you like look Sk- at- Skinny and I talked about this today. If anytime you're in this rivalry, no matter what's going on between the two teams, and you can get the underdog for more than five points, it's a worthwhile bet. Like I, I feel that way, even saying I think Xavier's gonna win by 11. I'm I'm not betting on UC, but if I was like someone with no affiliation to this game, I was just looking at it and I was like, who's the better pick here? UC plus seven feels pretty good in this rivalry, regardless yeah. of how the two teams have played. Yeah, so I, I think just with looking at everything and working in, in Xavier's favor with the experience, the way Xavier's playing, both offensively, defensively, being at home, being in the crowd that it's going to be, which is such just a, the standing room only that's been so I The students, I know a lot of people have been talking about the students. Uh, and if you didn't see, the, there was a post today on Twitter I saw somewhere about uh, how many students were going to be at the game? It's a full, it's a full student section. I mean, the students have come back. I that seems kind of common knowledge, but I know a lot of people were asking because the students have been on break for a few weeks what the student scene was going to be look like. There's, it's, it's a full student section, just like normal. Uh, they'll, they're not camping out, but they'll be lined up. Uh, that's what I was reading on Twitter. Um, so it'll be, it'll be a full atmosphere in that just like a normal, you know, not like a winter break type deal where they're selling the student section tickets to just general fans. It'll be, it'll be like a normal uh, game in that sense. And I just don't think there's really any reason to not think that Xavier should win this game fairly comfortably, at least on paper. But if, if you take out the rivalry aspect of it, which is kind of contradicting yourself because that's obviously a huge part of this, but if you just look at these teams on paper, the, with all with everything working in Xavier's favor, this is a game that Xavier really should win comfortably. And if it wasn't Xavier against UC, if this was Xavier and UC and they didn't care about each other, you'd be looking at this thinking, okay, well, this is a game that Xavier should do pretty well in, right? I and mean, this is a game that Xavier should should feel pretty good about. And uh, I don't think there's any reason to doubt that. So I'll say, I, I, I think I said 72 to 61. Uh, was was what I had. So I'll go with that for Xavier. So I think that's reasonable. And, and given the way UC plays, I mean, picking a, a lower scoring point certainly isn't a bad idea either. I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Will you be there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I okay. would. Uh, fortunately, the as bad as the scheduling gods have been to me this year with the conflicts, 
this was one that I was very happy to see. There was there was nothing for. It. I'm not exactly sure how I would have done that. I feel like I might have just had to tell like Jim Kelch, hey, I'm not going to be at the NKU game. I I can't miss the shootout. It's the one <laughs> game I can't miss. Like you got to make me miss Ohio State or Villanova or whatever. I can live with that, but I'm not missing the shootout. That's my day. I love the shootout. Uh, I, I got to be in the building for that one. So I haven't missed one and. Since I've been doing, since I've been on the beat, but and I don't, I don't want to go full Andy Furman here. But just to your point, when you were talking about, you know, kind of the matchups, you go down the line for the starting lineups, and it's like there really is not a UC starter that would start at Xavier. There just isn't. Like Jeremiah Davenport, if you're talking about Xavier's current lineup with Jerome Hunter at the four, then yeah, Jeremiah Davenport would start at Xavier. But with Zach Fremantle back playing like Zach Fremantle there isn't a UC player that would start for Xavier. I mean, that is the truth. I don't think that's like being unreasonable or being unfair to them at all. I think we could use that clip right there as the last line of the podcast. I think there's your tagline at the end. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know if it has quite straight the from, same effect as uh, who is Kilpatrick saying it, but straight from uh, Rick Boring's mouth to the end of the podcast. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it should be fun. I'll, I'll be there. Obviously, I'll be the uh, MC for that. So I'm excited. I, I'm I'm excited to see it. And oh, and I there and... are. Are you going to be emceeing some games with students in this? Oh, because <laughs> I feel like yeah. this has some potential for uh, viral ability again with you. If there, if there's uh, you know some, let's say well lubricated college students playing games well, on the they, court. Yeah, they won't be getting the microphone. I'll tell you that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah don't, don't let that happen. Also, keep them away <laughs> from the UC huddle, please. We don't need any Croden <laughs> moments. Yeah. So, um, all right. Should we bring in Mel? Yeah, let's do it. Well, Mo Egger, thanks so much for uh, joining us tonight. And, uh, I'm sure you're coming off of a, uh, quite the week here with, with UC football. So first of all, give us the vibe uh, kind of around this game on, on the Cincinnati side with football and the way everything's been panning out with basketball this year and kind of how this shootout is being looked at. Um, I can't, I can't speak for everybody, but everybody that I've talked to has been like, yeah, uh, whatever happens on Saturday, they're still in the college football playoff. So we're fine. (laughs) Um, it's, it's weird because I think everybody really likes this team and everybody is really encouraged about, uh, what we've seen from the, the very, very early start here of the West Miller era. And maybe to the degree that I think there are some who don't want to admit that there's a very, very substantial talent difference between these two teams. And so it's interesting. I I put a poll question out there earlier this week, and I I think it's actually an interesting question because um, Cincinnati is going to be an underdog against Xavier. Let's let's call it what it is. And it's a venue they haven't won at in 20 years. Um, And it's a first time head coach and first time head coaches, for the most part, don't do well in this rivalry. Mick Cronin being an obvious somewhat recent um, exception to that. So there's that game. And then there's the football game you mentioned. UC is going to be, they are underdogs on a neutral field against a a modern day college football dynasty uh, with the, the guy who's probably going to be the Heisman trophy winner and a team led by a guy who's arguably the greatest head coach of all time. And so I said, all right, if you had to bet money line, if you had to pick one of those two teams to win UC basketball or uh, UC football to win the game, uh, where are you putting your money? And I think the result was 55% on UC versus Xavier. And I kind of go the other way because UC's football team is actually really, really good. Now they, they are maybe not as good as Alabama, but they're really, really good. 
you can't say this about the the, the UC basketball team. There's just a, a talent disparity that I think um, for some fans, it's going to be sobering. If it plays out the way we expect, and you know that's the beauty of sports, sometimes it doesn't. But if you if you kind of look at the two teams side by side, you know, just, just do a draft, just do, do an imaginary draft of take every player on UC and Xavier and create a team. How many Xavier guys are you picking before you pick a UC guy? I think there is a reluctance because of all the good vibes resulting from the way that Wes Miller has handled uh, his, his first few months on the job, the way they played early, the way they beat Illinois by 20 points after trailing by 15, I think some are, are sort of unwilling to really acknowledge that this is a major uphill battle for the Bearcats. And so we'll see if it really is one, because I think from a talent perspective, you start there and then you look at the venue and you look at home court and, and, and it's just, this is, this is going to be a major, major challenge for Cincinnati. Mo, just looking at kind of the season that they've had, I think they go and they win that Illinois game and everyone's kind of looking around like, Whoa, what, What's going on here? Wasn't expecting that. And then since yeah. then, they've had, you know, a couple bumps in the road. Where are they at in terms of how they're playing right now? Do you think they're playing about as well as they have to this point? Or has they taken a little bit of a hit after that Illinois win? A, a little bit from 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 two different perspectives. I thought in, in the first four games that you could have counted on one hand the amount of bad possessions. Now, a bad possession to me is not a possession in which you don't score. It's a possession in which you don't get a good shot. And for the most part, or they're, you know, uh, an unforced turnover, th- th- those sort of things. I thought in the first four games, uh, which all precluded and came before the, the Illinois game, there weren't that many possessions where you're like, what is that guy doing? Or what are they doing? The ball moved. The shots made sense. Did all of them go in? Of course not. Did many of them go in? Uh, no. This team has just built in offensive limitations. There's not a lot of guys who are going to create their own shot. There's not a lot of guys who are just going to light it up from three, that sort of thing. But you watch them play offense and you're like, all right, well, for the most part, they're going to get good shots most time down the floor, most, most times down the floor. I thought for me, at least specifically the Miami game is when you saw a little bit of a reversal of that, where for the first 30 minutes, I think at one point uh, with, with 12 minutes to go in the first half, they had taken 26 threes and maybe three of them were good threes. Three of them came within the context of something. It felt like for the first, first 30 minutes, they were just jacking shots all over the place. And then what happened the final 10 minutes, they won the game because, well, some possessions ended with a three point shot, but there's a difference between a possession that ends in a three point shot and a team. This is jacking threes. They ran offense. They threw the ball inside. They tried to penetrate. They figured out a way to beat Miami zone. Um, that game to me was sobering from that standpoint because it was like, all right, first four games, I didn't see a lot of bad possessions. Now I'm starting to see them. And the one thing this team really, really did for his first six games was they guarded, they defended. Um, it felt like, you know, I remember the first game saying to Dan Horde, like this team looks like it knows how to play defense and it looks like they, they know how to play team defense. And that all blew up in the final God, what 15 minutes of the Monmouth game. Uh, and you weren't expecting that to happen against Monmouth after they had built a a 12 point lead. This team is simply not good enough offensively, uh, to be able to, to go extended stretches without guarding. So they've, and, 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 and there was always going to be some regression, right? They were never as good as people were saying they were after they beat Illinois, uh, the way they did. But those two things specifically have been kind of sobering. And then, you know, even if you want to add one thing to it, the Bryant game, 
on Sunday when over the first 10 minutes, they just got the, the crap kicked out of him on the glass by Bryant. That was sobering. They had a shooting drought in that game, which you come to expect with this team, but they've got a rebound and they've got a guard. And those things were constants early. Those things haven't been quite the, the constant variables uh, over the last few games that they were over the first uh, four or five. This Xavier team, Mo, has a chance to be Xavier's de- best defensive team under Travis Steele. And we talk a lot about how Cincinnati plays defensively and how they played defensively under McCronin and now under Wes Miller. And you look at how Xavier defends. And if UC gets into a stretch like that where they're not taking those high quality shots or where they're just settling for shots and Xavier's really locked in defensively. Have you seen anything so far this season and you see and how you see has played and managed their offense that kind of gives you some uh, positivity into what you see might be able to do against Xavier if they're locked in like that? Um, if they if they run offense the way they did for the first four games and for most of the Illinois game, the Illinois game was weird because, it you know, they, they were down 15 early and they won by 20 and they didn't shoot it great from outside. So. I mean, if you were to just look at it statistically, you're like, well, how'd they come back and win that game? I, I think if there is patient shooting the basketball and finding a good shot is, you know, sort of grade schooly as that sounds, then, you know, maybe they'll have a chance. The reality, though, is this. Um, they have a bunch of guys who just have massive limitations offensively. That doesn't mean they have bad offensive players. Jeremiah Davenport's capable of a big game. Uh, Mikey Saunders is capable of controlling a game offensively. David Julius can, can play at a pretty high level and, and make shots. Victor Locken is well coached and um, I think is, is, is going to be a really good player at UC, but they don't have a guy like a game like this. You're on the road, hostile crowd. Xavier goes on an eight, nothing run. Who's getting the bucket to stop the run and shut the crowd up. That guy is not on the team. Who's the guy in a game like this. If you're like, all right, to pull off an upset, you have to go bananas from three. Who's going to do that? I don't have an answer. Um, who's the guy that you go, you know what? This this guy's getting 22 for us tonight, and then we'll just sort of fill in the gaps. I don't think that guy exists. And all of that is independent of what the other team does defensively. Those are built-in sort of just things when it comes to this team. So then, all right, you apply the way Xavier defends and – it's hard over 40 minutes to imagine that those things rectify themselves against a team that has defended the way that Xavier has. David DeJulius is the guy that I always go back to when I look at UC. I thought he was their most talented piece on offense last year, even more so than Keith Williams, just because Keith Williams wasn't great at being able to create his own offense. He was kind of a Batman that if you could get him in the right spots, he could help you, but he wasn't like a takeover the game type of guy. I don't know that David DeJulius is really built to be that type of guy either, but I think he's the closest thing UC had last year and has again this year. You seem to be a little less gung-ho about David DeJulius as an offensive player than I am. What's your thought on who their most important guy is on that end of the court. He's probably their most important guy because he's going to play. If, 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 if he's not going to get the most amount of minutes, he's going to be pretty close. He's going to have the ball in his hands a bunch. He's going to take shots. I like David Julius. Um, I, I think if David Julius is your best player in a game like this, that, that, that could be, that's a dicey proposition that that's no knock on him. It's just, it's a statement about the environment that he's in right now. They, they just, they, they don't have a lot of just dudes. They don't have a lot of just guys that y- you feel like are, are capable of, I don't know, 
elevating their games in a game that requires you elevate your game. So does it fall on David? Yeah. And, and is he, is he worthy of all the things you just said? Absolutely. I think David and Julius, uh, a buddy of mine and I were talking about this over the weekend. It was like, all right, UC's last 10 teams before last year, all pretty good. All NCAA tournament teams. If we count the, the 2020 years and NCAA tournament team who on this team right now would get minutes. I think David and Julius would, I mean, especially, I mean, I, I watched Justin Jennifer and Jelon Gwynn, like it, J- David and Julius would have gotten minutes. Um, <laughs> but, but y- you know, I mean, is if he's your best player, to me that's not an indictment against david it's sort of a statement about the rest of the team as as a whole i I do think he's been better off the ball this year i would like to see him on the floor with mikey saunders a little bit more and and maybe there's there's something there i i would also like to see micah adams woods just contribute a little bit more tangibly and and i feel like as a junior i i expected a little bit more than God, Mikey doesn't kill them, but he just doesn't do enough. David can do a lot and he can make outside shots and he can make plays and there's no question you're going to get effort. But if that's your best guy, if, if he's the guy that's being asked to carry the load in a game like this, um, I think that's a little foreboding. On that same line of thinking, I hate using the term X factor, but I don't have a better <laughs> term for it. Is there another guy that you look at and say, if he picks up, he's got the best chance to be that guy that gives you a 15-point game and gives UC a path to winning. Yeah, it's a good question. I, I, I would, I, I guess I would start with JD because, I mean, he's the guy that I think is, is most capable. It, it, the shot selection sometimes leaves a lot to be desired, but if, if, the, if the shot selection is not terrible and he's making a high volume of them, well... Okay, that that changes things a little bit. I, I think with JD from a game to game basis, you don't know what you're going to get because he was almost a non-factor against Arkansas, and that's a a big reason why they lost that game. And he was a non-factor against Monmouth, and that was a big reason why they lost that game. Now, when he has shown up, and you can go back to last year when he's been at his best, this team plays at a little bit of a different level. So, I think I would start with him. I, I also feel like Mikey Saunders from the standpoint of just not caring about the environment, that's the guy, right? That, that, that to me is the guy that just isn't going to care about what the Cintas center is going to throw at him. He's not going to care about uh, the, the, the difference in talent between these two teams. He's going to go hard. He's going to go fast. He's, 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 he is a guy that can control a game. I don't know that he can control it for 35 minutes, but I think he can control it in spurts. And if he is, I think then things sort of fall in line for this team offensively in a weird way. I, I also think Victor Locken, um, Victor Locken has been a pleasant surprise because well, we didn't know what to expect. He was, you know, part of the program last year, but injured, didn't play. Nobody could go to practice. Uh, n- nobody was around him when the coaching change was made is, is Victor going to go to Russia and say, man, screw this. I'm not coming back. Uh, he dealt with an injury this off season. And then he shows up and you see glimpses of somebody who could be really good. Somebody who uh, in his native country, I've talked with Wes Miller about this. It has been really taught. Well, Um, I don't know that Victor Locken cares about the Cintas center. (laughs) He he gives the thing about UC's bigs is there's a lot of them. None of them play a high volume of minutes. Part of me wishes one of these guys would say, screw that. I'm playing 32 minutes. 
And uh, these other guys are going to, you know, fill in behind me. But I think Victor is a guy who, if, if you look at somebody who can maybe hold their own in a game like this against, you know, it's Jack Nungy, Zach Fremantle, and those are different types of players. Maybe it's, maybe it's, it's big Vic, but this is going to be his 10th college basketball game. It's going to be his first true real road environment. It sounds easy for me to say he's not going to care about the Cintas center, but who knows? I mean, I've, I've seen experienced players who knew what was coming wilt on both sides when they're on the road in this rivalry. And so maybe Victor does as well, but he strikes me as a bit of a calming influence and a guy who's just going to play and not care about the level of, of competition he's playing against and not care about the environment and just kind of do his thing, which sometimes looks very ungraceful, but so far uh, in his first season playing for the Bearcats has been, um, has been at least moderately effective. Speaking of new people in this rivalry, maybe the biggest new addition to this rivalry is Wes Miller, uh, who <laughs> who has had I thought some great comments this week. I mean, leaning, <laughs> in, I, I I think leaning into the Xavier thing and and recognizing it and kind of leaning into the rivalry is, is something that's good for this game. It's good for the rivalry. It's sure. good for Wes Miller right away to get in and, and to realize what kind of a game this is. And I think that's fun. I, I really liked seeing that when I saw his comments the other day. Uh, w- what are some of the things that, that you've kind of gotten from Wes or what you feel like out of him coming into this and into his first shootout? Well, specifically as it relates to him dropping the Norwood and, and using the egg Xavier, uh, those things are fun. And um, as much respect as I had for the way Mick coached his teams, I did not like his attitude regarding the rivalry, regarding the Crosstown shootout, which was anything but fun. I mean, he went out of his way. You ever like hang out with a bunch of people and then there's the one guy who's just never having fun and he brings down the entire like thing that was always Mick when it came to this game. And it's like, buddy, it's all right, fine. I know you don't want to play it, but you are like embrace it, wrap your arms around it. And you know, I guess you're going to be less willing to wrap your arms around it when you usually lose. But but it was always like, God, Mick, this is supposed to be fun. Just extend an olive branch to your fan base, which wants to win this game badly, which wants you to embrace the game a little bit more. And and instead, it's like I think it was the the last game he coached in this rivalry at the Cintas Center, at least in which he left his team in the locker room until like right before the game. And it's like. Uh, okay, Mick, like what message does that send with Wes? I've at least gotten the a, we want to play this game. We realize it's, it's not just a, a normal, you know, December college basketball game B yeah, let's, let's lean into it a little bit. Let's, let's sort of show our fans that this game is different. We will embrace some of the sillier aspects of the rivalry, which fans eat up and which are benign. I mean, th- there's, there's two different ways you could you view this rivalry. You can view it through the filter of, Let's do things that involve fighting and a coach going after a player and all that stuff, or the silliness of mispronouncing the name of one of the schools. That's fun stuff. I also think to a degree it's taken the focus off of a team of players, many of whom have not been in this game before and a roster of guys that, you know, again, man versus man uh, might not stack up to this doesn't stack up to this year's Xavier team. And so he put the onus on himself. I think that's sometimes what a good coach does. I'll put it on me, and now nobody's talking about the shortcomings of my roster in relation to the team they're playing on Saturday night. And 
look, this, this, this rivalry is fun when there's central figures to it, when the coaches are central figures that the other school uh, is frothing their mouth over. That's been my experience in this rivalry. And so if, if Wes is going to sort of evolve into a guy that Xavier fans come to detest, great. That's, that's what we're looking for, especially if it's not coming at the possible expense of the game. You know, with Mick, I, Mick never wanted to play the game. And so that undercurrent was always sort of there. And I, if we rid ourselves of that and yet we get the sort of villainous uh, aspect of it that, that Wes seems willing to embrace, I think everybody on, on both sides wins. So I'm, I'm here for all of it. To your point there, do you think there's anything on UC's side where, you know, we talk a lot about how the most dangerous team in sports is a team with nothing to lose. Do you, do you think there's anything like that where everybody expects Xavier maybe to win by double digits and this shouldn't be a close game and it's at 830 in, in the opposing arena and it's like UC just kind of rolls the ball out there and maybe things break their way? I think... I think there would be some validity to that had Cincinnati won once at the Cintas Center over the last two decades, right? I mean, <laughs> because, um, and, and I don't, I don't do this to discredit the team that that Travis has because I, I think they're really good. But let's face it, the variable here that looms over all of this is the Cintas Center. If this was a game at UC, I think, I think a lot of us would be willing to go. All right, Xavier's better, but home court, you, you never know when a when an underdog gets its its crowd behind it. It's the we I've seen some really good UC teams go to the Cintas Center and kind of get pushed around. I mean, the, the the team that Mick had in 2017, 2018 has an excellent team, a two seed uh in the NCAA tournament, and they were never gonna win at, at the Cintas Center. So I, I think that's the variable that sort of changes how we talk about this game. If this was at fifth third, I think you could maybe not necessarily talk yourself into UC winning, but you could maybe be a little bit more open to the idea of, boy, there's nothing more dangerous than an underdog that, you know, nobody believes in them. Well, they get the crowd behind them and they make some shots and they get some stops and suddenly, you know, the thing starts to roll downhill. The variable here is I, I've been to every crosstown shootout ever played at the Cintas Center since that first one. Um, including that first one. And I just, I know what that atmosphere is like for good UC teams. And I know what the atmosphere at fifth third can be like for good Xavier teams. It matters. And it's mattered more when UC goes to the Cintas center because the Bearcats have lost nine consecutive games there. And as much as that history, you might argue should not matter. That to me is the variable. And there's also as much as maybe this shouldn't matter. New head coaches in this rivalry do not win it. Uh, I, I I don't know if that's just sort of coincidental, but aside from Mick, whose first shootout was in his own building in a weird sort of janky game that, you know, if you remember, that was a Xavier team that was really trying to find its way early in the season. First time head coaches in the Crosstown shootout typically do not win, including Travis Steele. So I think that kind of works against the notion that there's nothing more dangerous than an, an upstart underdog team that nobody believes in. At the same time, um, we've seen huge upsets in the history of this rivalry. That's what's made it unique. And um, it, it would be unbelievable if the Bearcats actually did it at the Cintas Center on Saturday night. I've said a few times about this game, Mo. It just feels like for Xavier, really just a few things have to go right. I mean, they just have to keep from falling apart in a lot of ways and everything going against them. For UC, it feels like 
a lot of different things have to go right if they're going to have a chance to win this game, which kind of leads to the point that you're making there about why it's there's such a discrepancy in, in predictions and, and the point spread before the game likely from Vegas. But can you give me a path to UC winning this game? Like, what are those things that could happen if they're if they are going to pull off the upset? What what could go right for them, in your opinion? Uh, I think you have to get a combination of. Xavier's had some turnover issues this year. Um, and so those need to persist. You have to score off of them. And then you have to hope to have a bad shooting night. And, and look, the Bearcats have defended really well for the most part this season. Uh, they've really bought in uh, defensively. And, and I, you know, I remember talking with, with Dan Horde after the first game and it's like, these guys seem to understand the schemes that Wes Miller wants them to play. Um, they've really done a good job defensively. And, and again, you, you can only overcome what you don't have from an athleticism standpoint or a talent standpoint, but they really seem to have bought in. They really seem to understand that if we're going to have success, it's going to have to come at the offense at, at the defensive end. It, it, it hasn't always translated into scoring off their defense. And uh, as, as fun as their bigs have been at times this year, sometimes, uh, the rebounding has left a little bit to be desired, but they really, really, really have defended. And so if they can ugly it up, um, if, if they can score off some Xavier turnovers and if they can just create a really bad shooting night and then DeJulius and Davenport get hot from outside and, you know, maybe you can you can get Mason Madsen going and and he can make an outside shot or two. You know, then then maybe we're talking here. I mean, you know, there's th- there is a pathway, but um, it's not the most likely pathway. Let's just call it what it is. I mean, I just uh, as as much as I I love the Bearcats, it's it's there's a pathway, but it's not a a pathway that we're likely to see uh, this game go. But but again, it, it involves making it really ugly. Um, it involves, I guess, deeply frustrating the Xavier team, perhaps. Um, they start to, uh, I don't know, wilt a little bit under the pressure of being, I think, a substantial favorite at home in a year that is very, very important for this program. And the Bearcats are there hanging around with four or five minutes to go, and it becomes a coaching chess match. And Wes Miller pulls something out of his hat that we're not anticipating, and a, and Jeremiah Davenport has a huge game, and and the Bearcats make it interesting late, and and they execute better than Xavier, and they win the basketball game. Um, I guess those things can happen, but it, it, to me, it would start with Cincinnati really having to defend and really having to uh, bring out the most in Xavier's issues that we've seen at times this year, handling the basketball and this shooting surge that we've seen coming to a dead stop for the Musketeers. Mo, one last thing before we let you go. Rick and I gave our predictions just before you, you jumped on with us. Give us a score prediction for Saturday night. I will go XU 78, UC 65. But uh, for me, more than anything else, we're going to have a packed house for the Crosstown shootout because the game itself last year was a really quality college basketball game. Um, It didn't feel like the Crosstown shootout. Saturday night will. And so I hope this is the last time that we go into this game from my standpoint, admittedly, as, as somebody who's who leans towards uh, the, the school in Clifton, I, I hope it's the last time for, for a long time that it feels like an inevitability that uh, that one school is going to win. But, yeah, Xavier's got the better team and they're at home. I don't know why there's any reason to pick against them. So I'll go uh, Muskie 78-65 over the Cats. Mo, thanks so much. Appreciate it. That I do okay. Yeah, I think, <laughs> think this will work. I think we got what we needed. Thank you for your efforts. Perfect. <laughs> 
Thanks, Mel. All right, everybody. Hope you enjoyed that special episode previewing the Crosstown shootout again. Thanks to Mo for joining us there. And Rick, we'll see you in the building on Saturday night. See everybody else in the building. If, you know, I, I'm, it was great seeing everybody uh, the last few days and the last few games at CentOS. It's been fun getting to talk to a lot of you this year. So run into you on Saturday. Say, hey, let's talk. And uh, it should be a fun one on Saturday. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a real great atmosphere. But uh, once again, thanks for listening, everybody.